good morning, everybody. Happy new week. Hope you're doing amazing. Um, I am here with uh, my amazing author, Jonathan Lalos from Canberra. Nice to see you, Jonathan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, amazing. Uh, thank you so much. And I was so um, blessed to meet you face-to-face. -face. You came past our home uh, three or four weeks ago. We actually took some photos with your book and got to know you a little bit more. So that's uh, really cool, guys. So let me show you. You can see, obviously, Jonathan's book there on uh, in the background, Think Different, Win a Big. But let me give you guys the official introduction of who Jonathan is and we'll get this conversation started about this particular topic today. All right, there's his uh, book. All right, guys. So um, Jonathan is the author of Think Different, Win Big, and with over two decades of firsthand experience navigating the intricate uh, labyrinth of professional challenges as an autistic individual with ADHD, Jonathan has carved out a unique niche as an expert uh, in neurodiversity. Drawing from his personal journey and extensive research, he adeptly guides neurodivergent individuals towards reaching their potential. Simultaneously, he collaborates with organizations, facilitating them in harnessing and leveraging the unparalleled strengths and innovative perspectives of neurodivergent minds. As the esteemed author of the groundbreaking book, Think Different When Being Jonathan offers profound insights for employers, underscoring the immense value of understanding and nurturing neurodiverse talent. Beyond the pages, he wears multiple hats, an eloquent Australian keynote speaker, an engaging workshop facilitator known for interactive and impactful sessions, and a relentless advocate. With an unwavering passion and dedication, Jonathan champions the cause of neurodiversity, shining a beacon of hope and inspiration for countless individuals across the globe. There you go. Amazing. All right, Jonathan. So tell us, how did this book come about? Well, it's been many years in the making now. For quite a long time I've been wanting to write a book. Um, had a few ideas in the past. I started writing bits and pieces here and there. Uh, but ex executive functioning is not one of my strong suits, which is um, a very neurodiverse trait. Um, but over the past few years in my business, I've been helping a lot of people, uh, autistic people especially, uh, find employment uh, and that's given, given me an opportunity to reflect over the years around a lot of the difficulties that I've had. Mm -hmm. And um, so I basically I saw your um, 48-hour book um, mm -hmm. and, yeah, just I know with the one-to-one um, -one stuff, I can only go so far. And, yes, there are a lot of great programs out there, but what I wanted, my goal for this book is to uh, drive systemic change um, through employers. Um, and so um, as part of the writing process, I've come up with a framework uh, that employers can use to uh, pretty much implement uh, a, um, an inclusive work environment, not just for autistic people or neurodiverse people, but it also benefit other people with disability um, and it can benefit everyone in the workplace as well. Yeah, amazing. You're, you talk about an open mindset um, and new ways of thinking. And, and talk to me a little bit about the book name, Think Different, Win Big. Where did that come from? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, so to be honest, it um, came from ChatGPT. Uh, ah! So, and uh, actually, Stu helped me um, help me with the with the name during our intro session. 
Um, so ChatGPT spat out a whole bunch of different things and it came up with something similar to what the title was, but I um, played around with it a bit and ended up with um, Think Different Wind be so harnessing the power of neurodiversity in the workplace. Yeah, really cool. I think um, AI is very helpful for research and like uh, brainstorming. Um, yeah. I think it's like our co-pilot to, um, you know, what we just to get ourselves, you know, kind of thinking. And I think it's a very powerful title and it, it, it exactly says what it should say and what yeah. problem it's solving. Um, so tell us maybe a little bit about what's in the book. What will people get from reading this book and, um, you know, what kind of tools and strategies do you share in it? Yeah. So as I mentioned uh, previously, it presents a framework that employers can use. It's The framework's divided into three main parts. Uh, so the first part is around organisational change, and that starts with the whole mindset thing. So it starts at the top with leadership. Uh, so they have to have an open mindset, be open to trying new things, not being afraid of um, tr uh, having neurodivergent people in the workplace, and um, also being open to providing support to employees in new new ways. Um, and so part of the framework is to help alleviate any fears that employers have, because uh, I talk to a lot of employers and they go, no, I don't want to do that because something might break or something, although neurodiverse people might not be as productive, but there's a lot of research out there to counter that. Uh, then it goes into the whole implementation uh, of uh, wider supports, uh, so measuring um, key performance indicators or other measurements, um, having a process that's centralised for providing accommodations, Mm -hmm. uh, which is another big stumbling block for employers. Uh, so a lot of employers think, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money to bring on someone neurodivergent. But um, so having done some research uh, for a recent TED talk I did, or TEDx talk that I did, um, the stats show that the majority of uh, workplace accommodations costs less than $500 US, uh, and quite a lot of them are actually free. Um, so don't cost anything. And so the book, in the book, it goes into additional places. So things like Job Access, which is run by the Australian government. I believe other countries have similar things in similar incentives as well uh, that can provide not only advice, but financial support as well, uh, which is something I've used in the past. So they can do things like training or putting in specific um, different accommodations. Um, and then the framework moves into a an employee-centred, um, I guess, career life cycle. So focuses on the, the career, the strengths um, of neurodivergent people um, yes. and basically goes through the whole recruiting, onboarding uh, and uh, ongoing supports and also yeah. um, transitioning to new roles, whether that's through a negative connotation such as performance management, yeah. uh, way through to something more positive like uh, promotion. Um, yeah. And the final part is advocating for neurodiversity. So telling the story, spreading the word, um, because four years ago when I started this business, I had no idea that I was going to write a book. I had no idea where the opportunities would take me. And yeah. the exact same thing can come to any other employer's or anyone really who um, tells a neurodiversity story. Yeah, 
So tell me a little bit more about Tell You and Your University story. What does that mean? Uh, so it basically involves collecting case studies from the workplace. Yes. Uh, so throughout the book, I present quite a few different case studies. Yeah. Um, and basically telling anyone who listened pretty much. Uh, yeah. So I've done quite a few um, keynote speeches at uh, disability conferences, looking to expand on that um, a bit more in the next, next year, uh, just to get the word out there because... Uh, Situation at the moment uh, for autistic people, the unemployment rate is quite high, so it's it's well over thirty percent. Some places quote that it's eighty percent. Um, either way, it's it's not good. Um, for other disabilities, it's sitting around ten percent, which is still double, more than double the that of the general population. And a lot of employers at the moment are screaming for employees because there's a skills shortage. And so yeah. we merge these two problems together. Uh, should cancel each other out a bit. Yeah, amazing. And, um, uh, you know, w what are some ways to support? Actually, let's talk about how does a workplace know? Is this more encouragement of, um, is your book and your message more the encouragement to get people, uh, more neurodiverse people into employment um, or... Or also, how do you work within the workplace currently with your neurodivergent people? And how do you know if you have them? Because maybe a lot of people don't want to say, I've got autism or ADHD. How do we navigate that? Yeah. So the book, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Uh, so the book was designed, well, it was designed for employers. Mm -hmm. uh, employees can actually use it themselves um, as... Um, I guess, a sort of thing to look for when they're looking for a job. So what sort of uh, culture, um, support that they should look for in a workplace? Yeah. Um, who was going to say now? This is my ADHD. Uh, my second part to the question is how does, like, an employer know yeah. if they have neurodivergent people amongst their staff? Yeah, and that's the thing. Some neurodivergent people don't even know they're neurodivergent. Yeah, right. So yeah. it took me, I think it was about 36 years to realise that, hey, I'm probably autistic. Uh, it took me 40 years. So early this year, um, I got diagnosed formally. Uh, so, and I've seen cases where psychologists uh, in their 50s or 60s have had similar. So they, they haven't been diagnosed until later in life. And that's where the whole mindset and culture is very important. Yeah. So... And spreading, so not just um, providing support just because someone declares they have a condition, but providing widespread support to anyone who might need it. Because uh, there is there is a lot of reluctance around people disclosing that they're neurodiverse, if they have autism or ADHD or whatever. Yes. Uh, it's a lot better than it used to be, but there is still a long way to go. Um, so having that that culture, um, psychologically safe culture, where if a supervisor, for example, finds someone who's not performing for whatever reason, figure out what's the root cause of that, um, not specifically the condition, but see what, what where support needs to be added uh, and then provide that support, whether that's uh, through flexible working arrangements or... Uh, some sort of sensory thing or providing um, transcriptions in meetings uh, or 
written instructions. That's a big one for me. If it's not written down, it doesn't happen. Uh, that's a big one for me. Um, and I tell that to my team. Yeah. Um, so the best something... thing is like to, um, I think it also needs to start also from the person themselves. If they know themselves, how they best like to learn or communicate, mm. to communicate that to the employer and then to for the employer to uh, try. It's, it's almost like um, I feel... Um, you know how everyone's motivated by different things or everyone, like I hate audio books. Oh, do not give me an audio book. Well, yeah. In one ear, out the other, totally zone out. And this is why I guess my business hasn't been big on encouraging my authors to do audio books and I get asked and it's like my least favourite question because like I go, I don't, I'm not a fan myself, so I don't go there, you know, kind of thing. But um, I think if we just think about this as if, um every human being gets motivated or learns something in a different way and neurodivergent people just have maybe a few extra requirements and we just if we can just manage that we can get so much um from them uh, uh, that could be value to our businesses right yeah absolutely and so if there's a case study in the book uh around a client that i had a couple of years ago and so he, he was an apprentice plumber and he wasn't doing so well on the learning side of things. Um, that's because his the tradesman he was working with was telling him what to do, not showing him. So he was a kinesthetic learner, not an auditory learner. And yeah. I'm, I'm similar myself. So I, I hate it when people send me voicemails on Facebook or in LinkedIn. Like I'll probably odds are I won't listen to it. But uh, or if you tell me directions to get somewhere, I'd be like, what? But if you draw me a picture or show me how to do something, I'll get it like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm very visual myself. I, I, I know sometimes I, I send people voice messages because I need to, like, be more efficient yeah. <laughs> typing. Uh, but I now have a strategy of playing, like, you know, you play them faster two times and that, like, <laughs> makes me feel like, you know, when I listen to other, because I know when we speak, we take a bit of time to express ourselves and, yeah. I don't have the patience. Like, you know, when you read, you can scan through it and go, boom, you, you get through it. And, um, and yeah, so I play things a lot faster. But still, like, if I had to sit there and listen like an audiobook, there's there's no way. So it's just a matter of looking at it. We're just, there's just multiple hundreds of different ways that you can learn uh, mm -hmm. and you need to find the thing. So what with those people who are, um, like, you know how we said some people you don't, you can't tell unless they tell you. You know, you, you you can't tell like if someone's got autism or um, ADHD and a lot of people are coming out now with these conditions being diagnosed late in life, right? Uh, I know with a lot of my authors who I've spoken to, you know, I just got diagnosed. My child has it, so therefore they looked at me and then da, 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 all that kind of stuff. Um, so has it always been around? What, what, what do you think? And we just haven't like been labeled it or i don't know it's always been around um i think i've seen some memes saying that certain historical figures were probably autistic or had some other neurodivergent conditions but yeah. the thing the thing about it is the um the diagnostic process has significantly improved over the years um uh, especially with um girls and females around autism it's completely different set of criteria to boys, which is what historically how they've been diagnosing people. 
And so over, I think it's past 10, 15 years, that's come quite a long way. So it's not just a matter of people just dumping on the neurodiversity bandwagon. It's the fact that the research has come a long way, the diagnostic processes have improved, um, and I'm sure they'll improve over years to come, which is why more and more people are, are being um, identified. Uh, it's like when I was a kid, I didn't even know what autism was, let alone could think that I was autistic or had ADHD or I was just called um, various words under the sun which I won't um, <laughs> repeat on live Facebook but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes it's yeah it's just the it's like any medical field it just uh, it's improved over evolving. time we're evolving and bringing awareness so once you have awareness you can do something about it and use the pros and cons with everything you know that you know yeah. um, around it and what what's your advice for people who are obviously like you know visibly you know a neurodivergent you know what I mean some people you can't and then you know what is um how do employers deal with that and um, manage all that yeah um did you have specific examples or just in general I don't, I, yeah I you know there would be probably I mean you know I don't know maybe they communicate quite differently yeah. um, because me speaking to you unless you have told me or known what your book is about I would probably not like kind of be making assumptions or guessing and all that but with some people who come across they're quite I don't know uh, some people say they're just on the spectrum you can't really tell others mm. are more so I don't know specific ones but how does an employer um, you know how do you navigate or maybe manage that? Yeah, and that comes back to the mindset and that psychologically safe environment. Uh, so allowing people to be themselves um, and understanding that communication styles, especially for neurodiverse people, um, may be significantly different. A uh, big one that trips us up quite a bit is uh, unwritten ground rules. Um, so things that happen in the workplace, especially around social activities, um, so it might not seem mandatory for, to some people, but uh, there's that whole, I guess, between the lines sort of thing where people are expected to go, but not having that sort of expectation of neurodiverse people, if they don't want to socialise, then that's fine. Um, Another one, which is in the book as well, is communication styles. So potentially having an intermediary, because um, I know there's one with a colleague of mine who I was, I've been done some work with, um, came across someone who's very terse. Um, they're autistic. They had, they instead of being annoyed and bombarded with questions, they wrote a 12-page document with like an FAQ. Um, I... Personally, I think that's a great idea, uh, but a lot of neurotypical people didn't like that. Uh, and so it's just having that sort of understanding where we're coming from and I guess where they're coming from and somehow meeting in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I know one of our other authors, Bron from Perth, she's done a whole PhD. I think, have you guys connected? Uh, I think I've met her a couple of times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's done quite a lot of, you know, research from both sides. You know, how do you, you know, maintain relationships? I think such a great compliment to what you talk mm -hmm. about. Um, yeah, and that, 
yeah, I, I just think this is so uh, fascinating in terms of, you know, using our strengths and just being able to include everybody in what we're doing, but understanding what works for us doesn't work for everybody. And that's in everyday life, yeah. uh, you know, even with our children, with our partners and all that sort of stuff. You know, we have all different love languages and all, uh, all of that. So yeah. tell me, um, you know, I know you recently did a TEDx talk. Um, what are some of the other things you're planning to do as a result of bringing this book out? Um, so as I mentioned earlier, um, I would like to do some more keynote speaking. Um, so if anyone's running an event, uh, so I do a lot of stuff around mindset, uh, around benefits of neurodiversity, uh, providing support in the workplace, um, and also creating a uh, training program as well uh, for employers. Uh, so that's that's a work in progress. So hopefully have that up and running um, first half of next year. Um, but yeah, I love love what I'm doing. Um, just want to, I guess, get out there and um, advocate for my cause. So yeah. neurodiverse people, I know we've talked a lot about some of the negative aspects of it, but there are quite a, a lot of positives. Uh, so one of the first give us, things... Give us three. Give us three positives. Three positives. Um, so there's... It depends on the person. So... For, for me, uh, pattern recognition is a big one. Yeah. Uh, being able to identify issues that might not come up, uh, which uh, may actually occur. So there's a case study in the book uh, where a colleague of mine was working with a client. Uh, they were working for a startup and startup involved a website and uh, this particular person was autistic and they found a vulnerability that no one else had found. None of the developers, none of the security people, and had it been exploited, it would have sunk the company. And so upon fixing that problem, they went on to launch and the company ended up getting bought out, um, which is a great, um, great outcome as opposed to thing going down the gurgler because uh, website got hacked from a vulnerability. That's that's one example specifically. Uh, another one is uh, my friend's son who used to work for me in my Lego store. So I I tend to have a reasonable uh, attention to detail, but if I've got time pressure, which I had at the time because I was working in the business and um, working in the government, um, a lot of mistakes get made. So, but his attention to detail trump mining spades. Uh, so he was able to decrease our error rate. I think it went from around 10% yeah. down to around 3%. And even though he took longer to fill orders, yes. we spent a lot less money stuffing around uh, with irate customers. Uh, and yeah. Putting out fires. Yeah, putting out fires, um, paying yeah. for extra postage. Um, and so that's that's one of the principles that's in the book is not to look at um, performance measures individually, but as a collective. Uh, yeah. Yes, they might be a little bit slower, but it saves a lot more time and money in a different area uh, yeah. because they're a lot more accurate. Yeah, work to their strengths. I know without within our team, like I don't. I don't want to get bogged down in the detail of the so the editing, the publishing. So that's why the, the girls in publishing like love doing that and 
taking their time. Otherwise, I would I would probably make a ton of mistakes. I'd have to backtrack and go back forward again. So, so yeah. So I I completely understand. Do you think um you know most people should um you know get like tested if they have are on the spectrum or have ADHD? What what's your opinion on that? Like because obviously people are coming out of the woodwork everywhere as adults having this what maybe everyone 30 plus um i don't think everyone should be tested as a blanket rule yeah um, there is a lot of so before i went and got properly tested i did a lot of screening so a lot of questions a lot of research um and that's when i decided to seek that diagnosis yeah uh, diagnosis isn't cheap uh, no. so it can cost two grand plus yeah. so what, what people need to ask themselves is what are the benefits of being diagnosed yeah um, so for me so i need uh, support in different areas of my life so currently struggling through the process of getting on the ndis um, haven't been very successful as yet um, but yeah if people are sailing through life okay then yeah. it's really a question what value is a diagnosis going to get me yeah yeah I, I i get what you're saying you know if you're if you're moving through life you know without any challenges and you know then there's no kind of need to do it you know i know i know a couple of my authors have mentioned i think that you're adhd but let me ask you this question do you feel a diagnosis like labels people and then they start acting differently like what what do you think like getting a diagnosis might do to an individual's mindset yes that's that's a tricky one so yes there's the labels i don't know if you know about the whole social model medical model of disability um so basically medical model of disability um centers on the fact that there's something wrong with a person and that's generally where those labels come from. So autism, uh, ADHD, et cetera, so on and so forth. Um, that, that's used more in a clinical setting, uh, like psychologists. I'm not a big fan personally of that type of labeling. Uh, there are a lot of labels used in our industry that I don't agree with. Um, things such as level one, level two, level three, um, autism, um, I mean, high-functioning, low-functioning, they can be quite harmful labels uh, just because I, I work with a client who's classified level three low-functioning, but they're at school, they're doing um, 3D design and they're one of the top people in the class. Uh, so having labels like that can be quite harmful. Yeah. But moving to the social model of disability, um, while it's not perfect, uh, it takes more of a stance that there's an issue with society that disables people. Um, and so while there's still the labels, um, it's there, the labels are more there so people can get support, yeah. uh, which is the type of thing, uh, I guess it's the intention of the NDIS is to have that um, social model, um, even though they do a lot of medical model stuff um in the back end sort of thing yeah so it has to be very carefully managed um 
so yeah, and also carefully managed if you do go seeking a diagnosis, what would that mean for yeah. what you think about yourself and hmm. you know how then you present yourself? Do you tell people? Do you not tell people? That sort of stuff you got to consider. And I think, yeah, as you say, there's a, something, um, another author, Trust Your Gut, who <laughs> wrote a book, you know, Jacinta, you know, it's like, what's your gut saying, you know, about your child or yourself and, you know, should yeah. you go there? So how is the process of writing the book, you know? Did we have enough written information for you <laughs> for you to, uh, to like, work through the process? How did it work for you from seeing the particular learning style that you have? Yeah, it was great. Uh, so reading the book, it, it was a bit daunting at first, but when I came on board, um, had the intro meeting with Stu and had all the uh, the workshops and the um, the retreat with you, it made it a whole lot easier. Uh, so having people that have done it before um, really helped me out. Um, so as I said, I'm a kinesthetic learner, so I learn by doing things. And so having people there to help me do it um, was really 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 helpful um and it's kind of addictive except for the proofreading <laughs> stuff <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I've got, like... <laughs> yeah. so i've got quite a few different ideas for, for books coming forward yeah moving forward yeah i love it well you're part of our book accelerator membership which helps you churn out more and more books so um we look forward to and you are very good you were because we have quite a lot of detailed email instructions once you get into the publishing so you are very good at following those yeah. in terms of getting stuff back to us and moving through the process which which was wonderful so well done so all right so where can people buy your book let's um let's share that um i'm just going to pop up your website on the screen Guys, Jonathan's website is jonathanlaloz, L-A-L-O-Z, uh, .com uh, forward slash book, okay? So if you're listening to this as an audio, because it does go out, this goes out as a podcast too, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan is spelt normal <laughs> and then L-A-L-O-Z.com forward slash book and you can um, get a copy of his book. Of course, if you look up this book on all your good online resellers, uh, Amazons and Barnes and Noble, all of that, you'll find it there as well in Kindle as well as in uh, paperback. Uh, but if you get it from Jonathan, sure, he'll be happy to sign it for you. Um, we've had a comment, um, you know, Terence, thank you so much. Congratulations, Dora. What a brilliant interview. I have a nephew with autism. They're amazing people. Good luck with your book. Congrats. So um, that's beautiful. Um, I think you're doing wonderful things um, for organisations and um and bringing more awareness and then training um ideas on how to uh, deal with this in the workplace and um i think it's um it's just a wonderful way and you're a, a living breathing example of what you're passionate about and i always say there's that origin story that got you to do what you do right now and that's why it feels so authentic and that's why you you are successful and, and you'll continue to be that way. So thank you so much for coming on the call today and sharing with us. And I'm sure other people are going to have a listen and maybe have a little bit of a, a some aha moments on, um, on some of these discussions. All right, you guys. Well, you guys have a happy week. Uh, we are about to host our 46th retreat. So we have about 
25 authors going through this week's retreat. Um, so go out there and smash it out. Bye, guys. Bye.